Um, and I need you to bear with me because today's going to be a little different. I'm going to share some information. I'm going to call it one-thirds information, two-thirds of a sermon. Uh, but I do want to just remind you of what we're doing. Um, if I say Paul or Romans, because I'm going to make a mistake, we preached through, took us 37 weeks to get through the book of Romans, uh, and I'm going to probably say that at some point today, because we just finished that last week. Uh, but here's what we're going to do. Today is starting a series called Church Matters. It's going to be for the month of November. And, and here's kind of how I landed on this. We did a survey about a month ago, and, and the heartbeat behind it was, hey, let's just kind of do a self-examination. What do we do well? What do we do? Uh, maybe things we can, not so well that we could grow in. Um, and it was good. One of the things I realized was that a lot of the undecided votes kind of made it difficult where a lot of people were unsure on some things. So what I did was I pulled out some information. And what I'm going to do is this survey basically looked at worship, ministry, prayer, fellowship, discipleship, and evangelism. And these, these areas, and what I'm going to do is kind of give you two up front, and then we're going to focus on prayer. And later on, we're going to look at fellowship, we're going to look at discipleship and evangelism areas that maybe we score a little weaker in. So information-wise, here's what we're going to do. The whole point of this thing was to, to look at our church because it matters, and the issues of us matters. It's good to look in the mirror and say, hey, how are we doing? And so uh, 53 people filled out the survey. It was 160 questions. Um, and you'll have all this when you get it. I want everybody to have one. Email, grab one all the way out. But here's kind of what we're going to do. On this survey, looking at worship first, you could answer these questions with undecided. You could strongly agree, strongly disagree, or you could uh, strongly agree or strong, really strongly agree. And so here's what we found out about worship, and we're going to cover this first, just some information. We scored uh, our show that we're marginally unhealthy, which was about average, that people feel that they truly worship in the services, which I thought was a great thing. The majority likes blend of worship songs. We did find that some have a stronger opinions about other songs. This may be a shocker to you. This has been a lifelong thing. People always have different songs. I like hymns. I like choruses. I like praise songs. And I just want to brag on Travis. He does a great job of doing a blended service so we can always do that. Music majority felt that music always leads us to worship. Sermons help us grow. I, I didn't get my feelings hurt. Nobody said they, weren't, they were too long. I thank you for that. A little grace. Thank you for not, okay. Um, our church, when it dealt with worship, and you'll have all this information, it's every bit of it, you don't have to write this down, every bit of it's going to be for you to take, uh, that we have the right emphasis on money, that the Holy Spirit is in our services. A negative, and I want to explain this, a negative we found that there was an unwillingness to participate in dual services or add a new service. Now let me say this, this is information. I voted against that. You know why? Because I didn't really interpret the question of we're not really bouncing out the seams here. We got to add a service. If we ever had people standing in the hallways that we couldn't fit them in there, we would talk about that. So I actually said I disagree. I didn't want to add a second service and split. And so we showed a really low score on that. Um, but I felt that that was kind of a little bit confusing. The majority felt that during worship that their, their, strength, their faith was strengthened, and the majority felt that they would excitedly invite others to attend our worship service. So I think it's great. I hope that you'll do that, because I read a stat this week that said that 95% of people either come to faith in Christ or come to a church because somebody reached out to them, somebody that they know. Not because a pastor can preach, not because we got songs, not because of programs. Those days are over. Back in the 80s, it used to be, if you have a ministry, it's like, well, bring stuff to the kids. No, now it's just dropping them off, and we'll do something different. So the days of, of, of just having stuff to provide, a build it, and they will come days are over, but now it's a relationship. 95% of the people in your circle, we'll talk about this later, with evangelism and sharing our faith and inviting people, 95% of people will come to faith in Christ or the church because you or because I invited them, talked to them, shared Jesus with them. 
Okay, second topic is ministry. This will go, we showed a, a marginal unhealthy score on this. Voting was split on people who say that they are regularly involved in the church. 26% said they are not regularly involved in ministries of the church. Most members feel that they know their spiritual gifts, but the majority of them said that they don't use their spiritual gifts. Which is, I, I think, is, it not only is telling, but it's a, very, it's a very common thing where people think, here's what I'm gifted, but I just don't know how to do that. Okay, and we'll, can I sit pause for just a minute? Not everything in this series is going to be answered up here. Some of this is going to be fleshed out in things we do. How we change, how we uh, talk about things later on, programs changing, how we need to talk to people, how we do these things. So some of this stuff will be fleshed out later. Uh, Let's move on. When something needs to get done, the majority feel that somebody always steps up, which is a good thing. Majority voted and said that, or, 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 that they did not think it was hard to get involved. Even as a new member, it wasn't hard to get involved. This was interesting, I thought, that, that the majority felt that most of the ministry of the church is done by a small group of people. Now that's, you know, you ever heard of the old 80-20 rule? where 80% of the church work gets done by 20% of the people. Here's the thing that was telling for me, that this is not something to have to answer right up here on the stage in a sermon, but we always need more help. We got great ministries, great programs, great Sunday school classes, great Wednesday night, great children, great youth. Great, we have a lot of really good things, but it always takes more people. So if you're not plugged in somewhere where you think, man, I'm not really serving, I would love to be an arm, a leg, a hand, a foot, a body of Christ to, to do something. That, that was something that was, was, was good and telling for us. Uh, most voted and said that they feel that the church leadership equips people for ministry, but many felt undecided. So I think that's something that I can learn to do better on equipping people about, hey, where are you gifted? Try to find people a place to serve and, and things like that. Almost all on the survey said that they were willing to serve of the 53. Uh, and I put on here possibly maybe the majority of those who filled it out were currently serving. So when it comes to ministry, when it comes to worship, there are some things we can learn and things we can grow from. The third thing I want to talk about, I'm going to kind of do a little message on this, and we're going to talk about fellowship next week. We're going to talk about discipleship the next, and even evangelism, where we scored a little bit lower on, is prayer. Okay, we're going to do a message on it, but look at what prayer. Prayer showed this, that we believe in prayer and that it's biblical. Praise God for that. I was, if we got a low score on that one, we'd, we'd be in trouble. We emphasize that decisions in, in prayer for special circumstances. The church was split. This is something I want to talk about. The church was split on church having many participants in organized prayer meetings. And the truth is, is I'm honest, we don't. We have prayer meetings on Wednesday nights, and there's about eight in there. I've said this from day one at the church. If there was an area of our church ministry that would grow even more than in this room, I would, have, I would love to explode out this building. It would be prayer meeting. we got lots of people. we got almost 35, I would, at least 35 people that are serving on Wednesday nights doing something. And I've said this before, if you're not doing something, if you're not serving and you think, man, I believe in prayer, I want to help, we meet at 7 o'clock in the prayer meeting. It's me and about eight other people on a big night. And we have a prayer list that now is in the foyer. I want to do better at that. It's in the foyer, so you're aware of prayer needs. We have prayer cards in front of you, and we, we intercede, and we lift up all the needs. We add people to the prayer list. Many of you have people that are on it or your families. So I just want to encourage you. We'd love to grow that ministry as far as prayer. Uh, let's, keep, let's keep going. Um... People say that, the, that they pray for pastoral leadership. I appreciate that. Uh, ma majority, I thought this was kind of funny. Uh, the majority say that prayer meetings are not boring. But this is telling because 49 point, almost 50% said that they were undecided probably because of lack of, they don't know because they don't participate. I, I've talked to some of the church that maybe don't even really know we have prayer. I mean, what we do. 
and that's probably an indictment on me of not communicating that well and making that very clear on how we do things. But the bottom line for this information as we push forward, as we move, transition into more of the message today is this. There's a lot of good stuff we can learn about ourselves. We got to look in the mirror and say, man, we, we can always do grow and worship, grow and minister. We need more people to serve and work and do things in the church if we're going to be the hands and feet of this, this body of Christ for the community. But when it comes to prayer, this is where God kind of shifted for me because it is so tempting. It is so tempting to just have information. And this, this idea of this survey, it's a complete, a complete waste of time if it's just information. Or to think about changes, think about how we can do different things. But we have to pray. I think I was talking to Joe Twig. We were talking in the office, and, I, and we were just kind of go back. And, and prayer is where we have to start. Because if we're not praying, we're not doing anything we want to do because it is a, a relationship of, of, of individuals and corporately of, of, of communing with the Almighty. We have to pray. The theologian Ian Bowne said this in 1913, and then we're going to look at our text, and we're going to move, move to the sermon. He said this, the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not organizations or novel methods, but people whom the Holy Ghost can use, people of prayer, people mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through people. He does not come down on machinery or ideas or plans, but on people. He doesn't anoint plans, but people, people of prayer. That both encouraged me, but it also convicted me because I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the emphasis of, of prayer in my life, in my own life, not just as a pastor, but as a, as a Christian. And sometimes my prayer life is determined based upon circumstance. Rhetorically speaking, do you pray more or less when things are going well? Do you pray more or less when things are going bad? Does your prayer life reflect more of what I talk to the kids about having a phone and all we do is talk at it? We pick it up whenever we have a problem, and it's really a laundry list of things that we need God to come through. And if he does not, where are you? What are you doing? Does your prayer life reflective of listening and receiving of what God has to do? That's something God has convicted me on big time. About closing my mouth and receiving and listening to what God's telling me. Billy Graham, before he passed, he, he had a quote that said this, is what, he had all these crusades and thousands were saved, and, uh, and, and somebody made a comment to him, and, uh, and he said that, man, it's so good to see the church kind of get back, back to the last hundred years and how it used to be, and he said, and he said this, hundred years, he goes, I'm, I'm trying to set it back 2,000 years. And what he meant by that was that the focus of prayer from the very beginning, it literally, in Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob prayed. In Exodus, Moses prayed. Job, the, all that recorded was suffering and pain and prayer. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And then I went back on this before we're going to stand to read our text, but, but I went back to this. Of what was it in the book of Acts from chapter 1, verse 8, all the way to chapter 9, verse 31, that made the church grow? There's no curveballs here today. What made the church grow? It went from 12 to 120 to 5,000 and a 10,000 in nine recorded chapters. What was it? Was it programs or ministries? New ideas? No, it was prayer. Acts 1.14 said they continued in prayer and supplication. Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly. Acts 4, they prayed and the earth shook and the spirit moved. Acts 6, 4, they themselves continue to pray. In Luke 18, Jesus said we ought to pray and not be faint in prayer. That's today. 
21 said, be praying always. In Ephesians, Colossians, Thessalonians, and in Timothy, all of them said that we are to pray without ceasing and not stop. In the early church, they prayed for themselves, they prayed for the enemies, they prayed for those they didn't like, they prayed for healing, they prayed for wisdom, and they prayed for leaders, all people. They prayed in the streets, in the houses, in the rooftops, on the shores, and on boats, and in temples. They prayed in all places. They prayed specifically in the ninth hour and the midnight hour at all times. They prayed individually and corporately. So the question today is this. When it comes to prayer, individually, two questions. How are you doing and how are we doing? So I'm going to ask you to grab your Bible, and I'm going to share a story with you today in Luke chapter 18, where Jesus is going to tell a parable, and I'm going to ask you to stand as we transition to the message. In Luke chapter 18, in eight verses, Jesus is going to tell a story. And he's going to tell a story, a parable, if you will, of, to help us understand a spiritual truth about a widow who was persistent. Let's read our text, we'll pray, and then I want to pull some truths out of this for us today as we can learn about prayer. Luke chapter 18, look at it, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, here's the story. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God or cared about people. And there was a widow in that town that kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said, even though I don't fear God, I care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't wear me out with her coming. Verse 6. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust says. And will God not bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's, let's pray together. I appreciate you bearing with me on giving you information. And now as we transition to this, I'm going to ask you to do something in prayer. Just being kind of every, every head bowed, every eye closed. Just taking a moment to focus on yourself. Would you ask God to, to do something good in you? to stretch you, to shape you, to do something. There may be some in this room because of life. I've talked to some in this room. I've talked to some that aren't here today that they're struggling. Life has come crashing down and with it a prayer life that is struggling. And maybe that's not you, but if there's ever a part of you that has thinking or throwing in the towel and maybe your relationship with God is struggling because life is hard, would you just press in today and ask him to show and reveal himself in a new, fresh way? God, I thank you. Um, a lot of information today, but as we take a moment to look at your word, I pray, I don't want to take that lightly, but I pray and I ask that you would show up. I ask for the hearts in the room that are heavy because life is hard, that you would reveal to them that you desire and long 
to commune with them, to relate to them, to have a, a relationship with them. God, teach us to pray. Help us to pray. Empower us to pray. Help us to be a church and a people that don't just come at you with our request, but that we are close to you because of a relationship that we have with you. Would you change us and shape us and mold us in the way that you see fit? We ask it in the great name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. This is a pretty fascinating story, but right off the bat, I want to I be clear that this parable is a parable of contrast. You're not going to find this of trying to compare God to this unjust judge. Okay, because sometimes we look at these stories and we want to say, okay, well, if I just annoy God, if I just come at him all the time, eventually he's going to give in to what I want. Be it healing, rain, forgiveness, relationships, all of these things, I have to just kind of do a, a little shameless plug here. There is a tendency in my heart to say, I just want God to come through and answer the way I want him to answer. And then the time frame that I want him to answer, amen? Anybody else feel that way? It's hard. We find ourselves in a position of, of waiting and, and, and wondering. And what Paul, excuse me, I told you I was going to do it. What, what Jesus is going to do in this story is he's going to give basically in eight verses. There's three elements. I'm going to break it down. Verse one is the purpose. Two through five is the parable. And then six through eight is the point. If you're struggling to believe, I want you to look right off the very first thing in verse one. Jesus tells this story, but the purpose up front, excuse me, the point up front is he told the disciples in verse one, a parable, a story to illustrate a spiritual truth to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now, let me ask you a question. I need you to answer this in your own heart. What in your life has caused you or is causing you possibly to throw in the towel and not pray? And maybe I'm talking to a room of everybody that is fervent in prayer. Nothing would, would hinder that. No circumstances. Nothing's good. You don't just talk to him. You are bathed in prayer, just receiving from him. Circumstances will not dictate or determine your prayer life. But I don't think I am. Can you know why? Because I'm at the top of the list of people that struggle. I've shared this story a couple of times, and if you would just indulge me for a minute, not just in prayer, but also in ministry as a pastor sometimes. When we were first starting to have a family, I remember Megan had a miscarriage, and I struggled. It was the first kind of crisis of our life, and I remember, you've, I've told you this story, sitting at the top of the stairs in our, in our, at the church, the committee of guys that were there that came to in Denver City, you, you remember, there was, the, I worked in a basement, not because they didn't like me, because that's where the youth were, that's where we were. I remember the youth met on a basement on Wednesdays, and this, this crisis happened in my life. It was the first one I was really struggling with. And I remember, I was upstairs. I was the youth pastor on staff at a church, and I remember telling God, no, find somebody else to do it. I, somebody lost their phone. You found it? I remember struggling and thinking, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to talk on your behalf. I'm not your mouthpiece. I don't want, I'm trying to do everything I can do for you. Try to teach these kids about you. I've done everything, and this is what you allow to happen to me. Really? Got kids walking up the steps that are like, hey, David, are you ready to come down? I'm like, I'll be there in a minute. And I'm telling you that because I, I don't understand what you might be going through, but I'm telling you that because life happens. I was in the hospital on Friday with a family that life happens and struggling, and do we pray for healing? Do we pray for, what do we do? Not sure what to do. Life happens, and if it can happen to me, I would assume it could happen to so many who are probably stronger in their faith than I am. 
And Jesus, right off the bat, says, I'm telling you this story, as we're going to talk about, because I don't want you to give up. Do not throw the towel in. Don't quit. Because you know what's going to happen? Because the enemy is going to come in, just like he did on that night, to try to deter me from preaching to kids and talking to them, to try to get me away from God. Children in the children's sermon that came up here, we talked about that, and I made all the adults raise their hand. If I don't talk to my wife and have any relationship with her, and I, don't, I just talk at her and talk at her, it's going to struggle. Do you believe that if that's what God wants is a relationship and, and, and have a communication relationship, not just a talking at, but to receive and to commune an intimate relationship, don't you think Satan wants to take that away from us? Don't you think that? Don't you think that if he could just rob you of something and get you to quit talking to somebody? Yeah. He's won those battles with me. You see, it's not just a first century issue when Jesus is telling his disciples, his closest followers. It's a 21st century issue as well, excuse me. But I remember in John 16 when Jesus says, I told you all of this stuff that, so that you're going to have peace. Because in this world, church, you're going to have trouble. But we take heart because he's overcome. And this, this ability to take heart, this ability to overcome, it's not in us. It's because of our faith and what we hold on to. And if you pray, if it begins to get cold, begins to get distant, begins to be just one-sided, short, inward-focused, rehearsed, calloused, life circumstances can throw a lot of cold water on the fires of your faith. And I think this is the heartbeat. Can you stay with me? I just need you to hear. This is the heartbeat behind Jesus' words. His heart is because he knows, not just those 12, not just those disciples. He knows that all those that are going to come, there's going to be things that are going to struggle. There's going to be things that the enemy is going to want to steal, kill, destroy. He's going to want to break up a relationship. He's tried to do it since the garden of when sin entered the world. God's holding out on you. Wouldn't he just heal them? Wouldn't he just bring the rain? Wouldn't just your crops be great? Wouldn't that relationship be better? Wouldn't he just answer you? Surely that child will come to faith by now. Surely that struggle. Surely that this. Surely that this. And when he doesn't, he whispers in your ear. And he whispers in my ear, just like he did at the steps of Denver City, man, God's holding out on you. Look at me, church. Why are you talking to him? And in that simple moment, what he does, the enemy, if we allow it, he divides the creator and his most prized creation. Gets him to stay away. And this story, that's the point of it. That's why Jesus is telling us, that's the reason for this parable, is to not give up. Now, I need you to see, let's look at the parable. Look at verse 2. A couple things to explain here, but let me read 2 through 5 and we'll explain it. He, he says this, in a certain town there was a judge. He didn't fear God. He was an unrighteous judge. He didn't fear God or care about what people thought. But there was a widow, and in the widows, they, were, they didn't have anybody fighting for them, nobody go to bat for them. Widows and orphans were the ones, that's why scripturally, as, as, as pastors and deacons, we're to take care of widows and orphans, the church, because they can't take care of themselves. These, this helpless widow who's got nobody fighting for her, nobody seeking justice for her, in a town that kept coming with him with a plea. And she said, grant me justice against my adversary. Somebody's taking advantage of her. Somebody is, is robbing her, uh, uh, or whatever you want to call it. 
And verse 4 says, for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God, I don't care about what these people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, she won't relent, she won't stop, I will see that she gets justice. So they, she will stop coming back to me. Now I need you to hear this, please don't, please, from the very beginning, this is not a parable of comparison of God being the, just like this God. No, it's a contrast, because here's the bottom line, if you hear nothing else on this part. If in this story, if Jesus says that an unjust judge is going to be moved by the persistence of a widow that comes, how much more, that's the point, how much more will the righteous judge, the God of the universe, by his people, are going to come to him persistently, persistently, and not going to quit? You haven't answered yet, but I'm not going to quit. Hadn't rained yet, but I'm not going to quit. That relationship's still broken, but I'm not going to quit. My anxiety will not stop, but I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to think you're quitting on me. I'm not going to let my view of my God change because of circumstance. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be persistent. I'm going to come after it. I'm going to pray. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to do it. As relationships fall apart, as things break or things do this or that, I'm not going to. I'm going to keep my eyes focused as Peter in the water before he sank. He's going to focus on Jesus. See, this judge was unapproachable, doesn't care, nothing could persuade him to action. But the persistence of this woman in the story moved the unrighteous judge, are you with me? To action. Satan wants this to happen, and, and I think of this as, not beyond the survey, but us as a prayer, praying church as we pray and here as your individual prayer lives. He wants you to, and I, not to get mad at God, not run for him, not to blame him. He wants us to come to him. See, this widow was a model of how we can be persistent. We are the widow in the story. Widows and orphans were the most vulnerable, least powerful. They needed help. They had no influence, no power, nothing they could bring to the table. They had nothing. The thing that she brought to the table, hands open and helpless, was persistence. And we pray, not because we just want him to change something, though we do. And we know that God can. But as we said before back in Romans, where it's in that, that, that praying time, please hear this. I know that this is going to be a hard one to hear, but sometimes God doesn't answer the way you want. But I've had conversations with some in this room and some that aren't here uh, and people in my life that have looked back on things when God did not answer the prayer the way they wanted but they talk about how God changed them and God grew them and God put them in a, in a certain path in another direction that they never would have had. And they can look back and they can see like an Ebenezer stone and they can look back and say, I can see where God moved there. If I had my way, I, wouldn't have, yeah, I would have missed that. You see, prayer is surrender. One of my favorite quotes, I, I love this, E. Stanley Jones says this, prayer is surrender. This analogy helps me. It's one of the best I've ever heard. Surrender to the will of God in cooperation with that will. Now hear this. If I throw out a boat hook from my boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but it's aligning my will with his will. 
I'm a very visual person, and that helps me just the thought of being in a boat and, and, and throwing to the shore. I'm not pulling the shore to me. I'm trying to pull myself to align myself. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to tell you, can I be honest with you? That's not always easy to hear. You may not want to hear that. You may say, Pastor, I don't want to hear that. I want my loved one healed. I want my kids saved. I want that relationship fixed. And I get that, and I'm not trying to dissuade from that, but I just need us to wrestle and understand with God's ways are greater than ours. And just as the helpless widow, we come, and he knows all. He knows what's best for us, Romans 8, 28. He's going to work all things according to our good for his glory and his purposes for his people. He's going to do that, that we are asking him, God, even if you don't, help me believe. Align with my desires with yours. That's the purpose of what we pray for. So the point of this is that the parable is that we learn to pray persistently. We don't give up. In the last couple of verses, we see this purpose. Look at what he says. The Lord said in verses 6 through 8, he says, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will I not, excuse me, will God not bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? He answers it. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and it will do so quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? We are the chosen ones, his sons and daughters. And the answer to the question, yes, God will show up. God will answer. He will bring about justice for his chosen ones, for his elect, for his people who cry out to him day and night. And for anybody in this room that might feel like God's quiet, is God going to be silent? Is he going to keep putting us off? Is he never going? Verse 7 says, will he not? bring it about? Will he not do this? He will. He will come through. He hears our prayers. He hears our cries for mercy for the weak, for our church, for broken relationships, for Israel, for injustice, for broken hearts, for broken relationships, for wayward children, for troubled marriages, for the sick. Jesus hears and he will come. Did you look at verse 8, though? Look at look what Jesus is going to come. There's going to come a day in Revelation 19 when Jesus is going to come back in a beautiful, mysterious thing. But what's he going to look for? What's he going to find? Look at verse 8. At the end of it, he says, He will see that they get justice and quickly, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find what on earth? Faith. What's he looking for? What he's going to show up? What is he longing to see upon return? The faith of his sons and his daughters. That challenges me, because in my moments where I struggle to pray, it's when my faith is struggling. Church, we need to be, I need to be, collectively, individually, we all need and must be consistent and persistent in prayer. Corporately, privately, we have lots of ways we could go about doing that, but the bottom line is, I'm asking you to test yourself against this, we must be a praying people. God cares for us. He understands us. He can sympathize. He is not far off. And I want you to hear this, and I'm going to close. If there's anybody in this room that's like, man, I got the towel in hand, or maybe you're feeling like the Rocky and Apollo Creed, or Rocky's got the towel, he's about to throw it in there, like it's over right before Apollo dies. Spoiler. Okay. Right before he, he's about to throw in the towel, he says, I'm done. It's over. I can't do this anymore. There are people that struggle. They don't come to church anymore. They don't pray. There are people that abandon the faith. They've gone sought other things. So if we're not careful, the enemy can have a field day with a prayer life. 
or lack thereof. Because it distorts and he wants to change the way you view God. He's just a genie in a bottle. If you just do that and if he doesn't show up and if he doesn't, then what are you doing? Fix my situation. But the author of Hebrews in chapter 4 says this. He says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one, Jesus, King Jesus. In every respect, he has been tempted just as we are yet without sin. But look at what he says. Let us then draw with confidence and draw near to the throne of grace so that we might receive, receive mercy and find grace in our, help of time, our time of need. The invitation is this, is to draw near to him. Approach the stone of grace. There's a book I have in my office that I found, and maybe it's a God thing, I don't know, it's called uh, A Broken, ha- Broken Down House by Paul Tripp. I've been reading lots of his stuff. I'll close with this story. He, he tells this story, and it's, he says, I did it again and again and again. And I was like, I started reading it, and, and, and <laughs> he tells the story. He says, I did it again when my kids resisted instruction, when they debated my questions and my plans for them, when they opposed my, my, my authority. He joked about a conversation with his wife. They brought kids into the world. Apparently, they don't need kids. He did it again and again. I'll explain it. He did it again when, when, when his children didn't understand the abstract strategies, decisions, plans, the theological reasons behind their decisions, even if it was explained to them. He did it again, and he did it again. And what was it that he did? And I need you to hear this. He says in his book, he said, he goes, I, I, I would get down, I would kneel in front of them, and I would have them, I'd say, hey, I need you to look at me in the eye. He would say, do, do, you, do, you, do you trust your dad? Do you know how much I love you? Do you know that your, your daddy is not a bad person? Do you know that I'm not mean? Do you know that I would never do anything to hurt you or cause you harm or to try to diminish you in any way? And after eye contact and a few decisions of saying, yes, I understand that you are not a bad person, that you're not going to try to hurt me, you're not going to do these things. And then what he said again and again and again, just like probably parents, you've done the same thing, he looked at his child's eye and he says, I'm asking you to trust your daddy. I want you to remember that your dad loves you, he is for you, he will never ask you to do anything that's not good for you, and I want you to trust me. And he meets us, just like our father, in the hallways of our life as we kneel down before him and we trust him. And even if you don't have a clue what he's doing, if you're overwhelmed, if you're anxious, if you're struggling, scripture tells us that he understands. When the enemy whispers in your ear that he gets you to, to, to pull away, quit talking to him, quit praying, quit going to church, quit doing that. He doesn't care about you. Scripture says differently. So if you bow your heads for just a minute. The crux of the sermon today as we sing our last song is this, is I'm just going to invite you to trust him. I don't know what that means. I don't know how that mean, relates to your life, whatever circumstances. I don't know what your prayer life's like. Maybe it's great. Maybe you're intimate with the Lord and that's fantastic. Keep it going. But if you're like my life so many times that there are my prayer life struggle. And when I struggle to commune with the Almighty, do you know what? My relationship struggle. My desire for the things of God struggle. If that's you, would you just listen to him, receive whatever he has for you?
going to give you a moment to pray. The praise team is going to pray, uh, play. Excuse me. And I want you to pray. When the time comes, if you want to stand and sing, please do. If I could pray with you, I'd love to. But they're going to sing our song of invitation. And I just want to give you a moment to pray. You respond as he leads. <laughs>